Hey, this is Kevin from Kevin's Barbecue Joints, and welcome to Kevin's Barbecue Joints Podcast. This one's really great. It's with Grant Pinkerton from Pinkerton's Barbecue, with location in Houston, Texas, as well as San Antonio, Texas. That San Antonio one is a newer location. What I like so much about this is that I learned so much about Grant Pinkerton. I didn't really know much about him. I had seen some interviews, some brief interviews, and I also saw some stuff online, read some stuff about him, but I didn't really know him as a person. And I think that you will go away from this knowing Grant more. I know his passion. I know his passion is for barbecue, but he has deeper passions that include rhetoric and writing and philosophical thought. And it's just, it, it's really special. And I, we're kindred spirits in many different ways. And his genuineness comes through. This is there's a lot to unpack in this. I'm going to try to make this intro sort of brief. It's an hour interview. We do get into the fact that he loves competition barbecue. He's involved with that. He is a two-time world beef champ at Memphis in May, which is incredible. His red sauce came in 11th out of 168. His mustard sauce came in 8th or 9th out of 168. And he's extremely proud about that. And he talks about why he does that. And I think you'll understand when you hear about it, but it makes sense. And those worlds don't always collide or even mesh. It's interesting to hear about that. I don't do a lot of interviews with people on the competition side just because I focus a lot more on the restaurants. And there's a lot of fun stories because he and his, his wife now, but they lived uh, above the restaurant in Houston for three and a half years. And there's a lot of fun stories about that. It's really quite interesting when you delve deeper into what that was like living above a barbecue joint. We talk about what he went into to make the San Antonio place the place that he really wanted it to be. We go a lot at the beginning and throughout into his business philosophy and how he approaches business. And he also mentioned to me that he is going to start having classes. So I'll put a link below to all their stuff because in late October, there's going to be a class. There'll be also a class in the fall. And these classes are going to be unique, especially the fall, potentially spring class will be whole hog in a different way than anyone else is teaching whole hog. So I can't thank Grant enough for sharing his time, sharing his story, being forthright about everything. I, I do think that you'll want to visit both locations. They're open six days a week now, Tuesday through Sunday. I'll put the hours and everything below when he talks about that in the interview. But it's definitely eye-opening and really enjoyable. I have a website at kevinsbbqjoints.com. I'm on all the social media at kevinsbbqjoints. But the end, stay safe and visit your local barbecue joint. Good afternoon, Grant. So good to talk to you. Good to see you. Yeah. So how are you doing right now? How are things going for both your businesses? I want to get, we'll get back into kind of your past, but not too deep into it. But I want to give people a chance to know more about each specific restaurant and kind of why you chose to open a second restaurant, all that good stuff. But how are things, how's your mindset right now? Sure. I mean, you know, it's great. We have a, we have an awesome team of people. We work really well together and um, all the way from managers, uh, all the way down to the people washing dishes and that kind of stuff. And I try to not say the term restaurant family because I tell people that work for me, I'm like, you have your family, then you have your coworkers, and then you have your friends. And it's really important to keep all of those three things. They can commingle a little bit, but you know, for your health, it's probably better to uh, when you leave work, clock out and go hang out with your friends. You know. That's good advice, actually. Just hang out with your coworkers all the time and come back. I said, we all love each other and we're all here for each other. But at the end of the day, your family is your family. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it should be a, a, a comfortable place, like like visiting a, fam a, a friend's family and being welcomed in and <laughs> nice. But yeah, when you leave, you check out. And that's it's, it's weird, too, because I know I've left jobs and people have expected to become friends. And it was like the reason why we were close was because we were 
working all the time together. Absolutely. That was the thing you had in common, right? Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, like, funny enough, sometimes this happens too, where, you know, you go out with coworkers or whatever like that, and you just have that natural inclination, like talking about work, right? Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of the one thread you have in common. So you keep talking about it. And before you know it, you're probably meddling in waters that aren't necessarily the best to meddle in or, uh, you know, take yourself to a mental place that it's not the safest spot to be. Leave work at work. That is smart. That's that's really smart. How how big is your staff now? Um, we have somewhere fluctuates between like eighty five and ninety two employees at both locations. Between the two stores, yeah. So San Antonio is a bit um, more staff than Houston from a number standpoint, but you know not too much. We've had a lot of people that have worked for us for four plus years, um, two plus years, which is great. And in our business, uh, especially at the Houston location, you know that we have a lot of people that have been there for a really long time. That's great. Yes. Do you have some people that have been there from day one? I do. Wow. That's a big deal. That means something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not every business has yeah. that. No, no. You know, and just, I mean, the stick in, especially in today's day and age to stick in one job for six to seven years mm -hmm. um, is pretty uncommon. You know, people like to move around and do different things. I think I, I was reading something a while back that said um, most people in my generation will have somewhere between five and 10 jobs in their lifetime, which wow. I'm like sitting there thinking about like, oh shit, I only have one, but you know, you never know. Um, I love business. So uh, yeah, you might open up maybe some, maybe some ancillary businesses. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, no, that, that's, that is true. And it's, I, I think that 10 people tend to, especially with so many options and different things these days and so many distractions, they get this itch and then they, unless it's something that they really enjoy or they feel like they're being treated well, like I, there's a lot of jobs I've never that I've had that I haven't been treated well, or if you feel like you're not being compensated right. properly, like even mentally compensated. Right. Yeah. We're, I'm a huge believer in work-life balance and I try to bring that uh, to the very forefront with, you know, my, especially with my managers and uh, you know, really everybody that works here. I, I want you to have a, a life outside of work. Um, yeah. There will be times where you can't, um, but that's true in, in any profession, right? That's true for me. That's true yeah. for, doctors, lawyers, you know, when it, sometimes work demands, um, you know, 90% of your attention all, uh, for weeks at a time. But there's other times where it's time to decompress and take a few days off. And like, I'll tell them, no, like, leave, go have a, you know, a week, three day weekend, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you don't need to be here. You know, sometimes uh, we'll send people from Houston to tag out people in San Antonio or oh, that's you know, things like that. Just, hey, you know, you need a breather. You know, I mean, it, I, I love to think of um, business and especially the restaurant business a lot like um, a football team. Okay. Um, I'm a big football fan and I, I'd say I'm, I'm the head coach, but like um, if you, it's really important to have a great offensive coordinator, a great defensive coordinator. And I equate those people to being your, your managers, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, I can't run the offense the whole time. If I'm running the offense the whole time, I'm neglecting other things in my job, right? Um, my offensive coordinator should not really be meddling in the defensive coordinator's, you know, kind of situation. They kind of need to stay in their lane and stay focused. And if they can take care and do their job, then it'll make the job easier for everybody else. And then underneath them, they have their players that they need to coach, get the most out of. And, you yeah. know, it's like guys on a football team, everybody has different personalities. So we really are, we can call ourselves managers, owners, all that kind of stuff. But really at the end of the day, we're coaches and we're yeah. trying to get the most out of each person and in, in individual in our organization. 
um, and keep them happy and engaged. And, uh, you know, if you've done any sports or anybody out there who's done sports knows that each person requires different kind of coaching. Some people oh, have yeah. to be um, kind of hard with and other people really need um, kind of some coddling and love and to really get the most out of them. You know, that's one of the things I love about being in the restaurant business is um, just doing that and kind of getting this oiled machine running and um, seeing people grow, learn and getting the most out of them. Yeah. And imagine too, what this is for their life path. Like this is a, a stepping stone in their life. And if you can make, if you could put, propel them towards even greater things in their life, or if it's still working with you, right. That's a big deal. That's like, and, and it's, I was going to, I was curious as to, did you ever imagine that it would be, you'd have almost a hundred employees when you first started this in Houston? Like, is that something that, or did you, did you have grand ideas with this or was this something where you just wanted to open a restaurant? No, it's, it's very organic. You know, I mean, I, I tell people the story a lot was when I was a little kid and people asked me what I wanted to do, you know, I would tell them, oh, I'd love to open a restaurant. And I loved them. I just had this like kind of romantic oh. idea of, you know, being in a restaurant. And I, I love talking to people and talking to guests. And I, I, you know, I'm a big sports guy, obviously. And so I like that team element. Um, all that kind of stuff. And like the response you get from everybody when you're 12 years old and tell people that you want to run a restaurant is you're crazy. That's yeah. a terrible idea. You'll never see your family. And they pretty much always fail. And you're like, mm -hmm. oh, okay. Like, which is a horrible thing to tell kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Parents, yeah. Yeah, don't parents, dream big at all. <laughs> my parents never said that to me, but you know, other people who you'd mention it to. And so yeah. I kind of went through life thinking about what else I could do. And I, I really like business, you know, so um, kind of went just through it, kind of knowing that I'd be an entrepreneur. And then I got out of college. And uh, I remember having like, a very clear conversation with my dad one day about, you know, I, I really just kind of have this passion for sales, I like uh, business and selling things, but I want to sell a product I believe in. Like, I don't think that I can, I think I could be really great at it, but I can't go and do this for something that I don't yeah. in my heart truly believe is the best. And like in, on the side, I just started kind of cooking barbecue for fun and selling it. I was just working at uh, the front desk at, at, a, at a friend's gym and just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, you know, obviously I'd gotten a degree in rhetoric and writing. So, and I'm very passionate about the outdoors. So as a, another kind of entrepreneurial side job, I wanted to start photographing and writing for out, outdoor magazines and uh. like maybe doing some guiding and things like that. Just that's where I find peace um, in the outdoors. And so I thought it'd be cool to see if I could make a job out of it. But, you know, the barbecue thing was going and that was going to be that was kind of making me some money. And then I kind of realized I'm like, you know, there's actually money in cooking food. And it's something that I'm passionate about. Like I've always loved cooking. I started at a very young age. I was doing a Super Bowl party for somebody who was, uh, I cooked hogs in high school that I'd raised in FFA. And I, so I did these like full oh. hog roasts at my house. And one of the guys that worked at the gym, I was having a Super Bowl party and asked me to help cook this pig for a Super Bowl party. So I went, like showed up at four o'clock in the morning, put it on a rotisserie, you know, cooked it like old school over a, a spit style a hog. And like, we're done. The game's coming on. He hands me like 200 bucks cash. And he was like, man, thank you so much for coming over here and doing that. And I really wasn't anticipating getting paid or anything. I just had a great time hanging out there and doing it. 
And I remember going home and I called my mom and dad because I was living at their house. And I'm like, hey, I got 200 bucks for cooking a hog. If I just find somebody where I could cook a pig every weekend, I'd be making yeah. like more money doing this than I am at my job right now. And there was like that aha moment. They're like, hey, somebody can pay me for my passion. So I um, started just kind of after sit down conversation with my boss, you know, he was like, Hey Grant, you don't have a girlfriend. You don't have any debt. You live at your parents' house. Now's the time you're 23, 24. Now's the time for you to be an entrepreneur. And then like amazingly all my hours got cut, you know, the following few weeks. And he's like, you can, so he was problem. like kind of pushing you out hundred percent, you know? Oh, and, uh, he's like, your barbecue is great. I love it. Um, you can use my um, parking lot as a pop-up spot. So, I went on and bought a uh, trailer uh, smoker from Craigslist from a Liberty that was built by Liberty County Agriculture class in the 90s. And I literally had my first Pinkerton's barbecue pop up like five days later. Really? And it was, was it called Pinkerton's? Yeah. Just... And I, and I drew my uh, logo that we still have today out on a napkin with my brother and we traded uh, uh, things back and forth. And I said, I kind of want like an old belt buckle or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's what and, uh, He's art, very artistic and I'm not super artistic from the drawing perspective, but I got a lot of cool things going on in my head. So yeah. between him and I, we kind of got to sketch out and I like bummed some time off of a guy who was a student at U of H and he digitized it for me. I was like, okay, well, we're Pinkerton's barbecue, you know? So uh, it was born. And what did you sell that? Were you selling hog or were you selling? We did brisket, ribs, um, chicken, that first one. I think I did a couple sides, maybe my beans and a potato salad and cheese rice. Like the Um, potato salad that has been talked about? Like the one that you, okay. That is, that is my potato salad. So I get personally offended when people don't like it, you know, but I've gotten better about not taking it to heart, you know, but I really like it. I, from what I've read and seen, I think I, on the, what was it? Barbie, what's a a barbecue quest. Is that the, the uh most recently on talking about the pepper? I I didn't know, know about the pepper issue. That that was a huge mistake on my part. I actually went to cook it for my grandmother and we were made, it was, you know, before Pingerton's barbecue happened and I was trying to shake some pepper into it and the whole top came off and then I like, scooped a bunch out. Yeah, did you scoop? I, hoping so you'd I scoop just mixed it all in and then I tasted it. I was like, oh, this is actually really good. Like it's better like this. And so it just, it's zingy and has a lot of pepper and it just actually just grows really great with barbecue. So is that is the biggest complaint that it's too peppery or is that, or is it just, no, we really don't have very many complaints. Like people love that potato salad. That's awesome. That's, and that's served at both locations, right? Absolutely. So, so are you, because I know that you've talked about how all these other people have this almost like a similar path into barbecue. Were you looking online at things? Like, were you looking at or buying books? Like, or were you self-taught? Um, uh, and, uh, kind of interestingly enough, like I've read, one barbecue recipe my entire life Um, and that was back when I was in high school and it was the legends of Texas cookbook Mm -hmm. recipe for brisket and it was salt pepper and like just smoke it for uh at like 225 for an hour a pound you know it's like super rudimentary well and I was like okay well seems simple enough and I got had my little Weber Smoky Mountain going in the backyard and made that brisket with, and it was awesome. 
And then I tell people I proceeded to screw up every single one for a long time. I mean, they were okay, but like, I remember that first one being like fire, you know? Yeah. And then and maybe, and maybe got too cocky inside your head or something. And then it, well, my thing was I started effing with the recipe, you know? Okay. Well, I'm going to add some garlic powder and cumin and uh, this, and I'm going to, and it was just one of those things. I mean, naturally when you're young and like, I love to cook, I just want to add flavors to it, but you know, the old tried and true is great. We still just use salt and pepper to this day. And once I kind of reverted back to the more traditional recipe, the brisket came back. But that first brisket I cooked was with mesquite. I love mesquite. Uh, I love mesquite. Are you strictly use, mesquite right now? We use a uh, half mesquite, half post oak. Okay. So we, I mean, we cook on really big pits and we have a, ton of combustion so there's really no downside to using something like that and i find that it gives uh the beef a particularly great like earthy note um that isn't found in a lot of other um meat and a lot of people say oh you know br uh, brisket cooked with mesquite or barbecue cooked with mesquite is, is so creosote and this that and the other well i can make one with post oak that is just as creosote as a mesquite brisket if I want to. You know what I'm saying? You choke the fire back, you smoke it to hell. But if you're burning really clean, sometimes it's almost hard to like even get anything but just those kind of like subtle post oak notes, right? Um, and I just, I just found that that like mesquite adds a really cool like nutty, almost like umami element to um, beef. Is it? Are, do, are people against uh, mesquite because it doesn't have a higher moisture content or something? Or a lot of backyard cooks, they like try to cook with it. And I mean, you know, I'm kind of to think I know I've cooked with it, but I don't recall it being like an analogy I would use with hunting. It's like a lot of people will tell you that wild pig is like really gross, but wild pig is freaking delicious. Most people just don't know how to cook it or completely screw it up somewhere in the process. It's the same thing with mesquite. You know, I mean, how many times have you gone online and seen somebody's advice to like, okay, first step, soak your wood chips in water. Okay, yes. well, if you do that with mesquite, like that shit is gonna be That's like, probably, yeah. pretty bitter, you know? Yeah. So stick with, you know, tried and true, burn clean wood, burn a clean fire, have white smoke, or I mean, blue smoke and you'll be good. I didn't want to forget and it popped in my head when you said umami, what you use, for a certain dish beef rib burn ends do you do use mushroom powder is that way or something oh yeah my grand champion beef rib so i'm, I'm a two-time world beef champion uh and FSMA. Uh, yeah i should put those two trophies behind me um <laughs> oh yeah. yeah that rub has a bunch of different types of mushroom powders in it and like that umami flavor on the burn ends is or really on any beef is freaking outstanding on like a ribeye steak burgers i mean i really um love cooking with that stuff it's one of those rubs that i don't have a single other beef rub in my house except for that one and one that's like a base coat that i'm about to come out with okay um and i, I use that stuff on everything do you have the mushroom in a, a seasoning that you sell is that something that you sell yeah with the, it's called okay. the grand, grand champion our grand champion i'll put a link below okay okay cool i didn't yeah, apologize for not yeah, knowing that that's awesome it's on our comeandeatit.com. So we sell a lot of it. Um, it's not the cheapest seasoning because of the ingredients in it, yeah. but uh, so many people that have ordered it are, you know, that's all they use now for any of their beef products. It's really wow. great. And it was pretty funny. Like at Memphis and May, I smoked all my stuff using mesquite. And if you go talk to people in Mississippi or Tennessee or any of those places, they're like, oh, I can't eat mesquite barbecue. It's so nasty, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that was like the dirtiest secret in the world, but I let it out that I cooked the, you know, two beef dishes at one over with mesquite. And what was that feeling? What is it like a lot of people like that are in the barbecue world or watching or listening aren't really necessarily part of that competition world. What was it like winning? And like, that must have been incredibly oh, it, that was awesome. exhilarating. Probably like one of the, my, my highlights of my barbecue career was doing that. Uh, now I have my own team and we take and we compete in hog too, whole hog. But, you know, I've always loved uh, the competition side of barbecue. Hook, I'm, I'm wearing an insane can posse shirt right now for uh, <laughs> cooking on drums, you know. But to me, it was, it's a great way to have my creative outlet. You know, like at the restaurant, I want to serve true traditional Texas barbecue. So I can't like get funky and play with weird flavor profiles and like really kind of stretch the limit yeah. of barbecue cooking um but they expected to be consistent too it's yeah like and I, I just love um that idea of like building flavor profiles putting it on there testing stuff i mean all the way down from you know your injection i mean we've gotten to the point now where we're we're cooking off our own broths to put oh to that's interesting injections you know just so you're building that flavor profile mm -hmm. from literally the center of the meat all the way out to the, fi the finishing uh dust that we'll put on stuff Wait, so are you doing just Memphis and May or do you do other competitions? Um, I do. Uh, I do others as well. You know, if I if have free time and can do it, I'll go around. I always compete at the Houston has a world championship. I always compete at that one. And then I try to hit like maybe four or five larger. Um, I know that. Uh, it used to be IBCA or CBA cookoffs. Um, like San Antonio has a real big one that I'll do. And, you know, just I, this year I wanted to do. San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Memphis, all kind of in a spring run. Um, but it's just a whole nother side of the barbecue community. And it's really funny, like the competition community doesn't really commingle with restaurant community. No, the restaurant community doesn't commingle with yeah. um, the other. And it's really, that's just kind of an anomaly with Texas because when I leave Texas to go compete or um, even go cook with other teams, like I just recently did one in Virginia, we did a hog uh, uh mbn which is Mem uh, memphis barbecue network uh mm -hmm. cook-off in galax virginia and i did it with some friends from mississippi like those people have restaurants and compete they all know each other it's a huge community people from florida mississippi tennessee alabama like it's a huge community yes. but like here it's like wicked divided yeah yeah, yeah. And like, never the two shall meet. Every, you it's know, such a strange thing. Competition cooks don't know what they're doing. Restaurant cooks don't know what they're doing. You know, it's just. It's yeah. And just, if a competition guy opened a restaurant, they're like, oh, like people are up in arms. Yeah, like, he doesn't know what he it. He's Usually just going to be is that they try to bring like competition food to the everyday diner. And it's just so many steps, so hard to honest, to scale it. Um, and it's just not conducive to eating a whole tray. Like, that's what I tell people. I'm like, you wouldn't want five or six of my competition ribs and three slices of brisket like you would throw up and like, <laughs> way too much, be plugged dude. up for a week. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not, it's not, not a good idea. Have you ever, oh, you're not a judge or have you ever taken like that? Isn't there a course to become a judge? Or, yeah, for or, yeah. KCBS, um, MBN, there are judging classes. So it's actually a really good idea if you're going to compete to go take a judging class so you kind of know what they're looking mm -hmm. for. And like, I try to tell a lot of people too, like the competition side of things is, you know, how many salt and pepper briskets are you going to cook at 250 to 275 wrapped in butcher paper? Like, uh, I'll be, if, if I'm the first one to say it, that's fine. Like it gets old, like yeah, you know, no, it's I... the same thing in day in and day out with the competition stuff. Yes, there are very arbitrary guidelines, but now that I've done it for a long time, 
I've realized that those are really actually important to kind of the integrity of the competition itself, because we've done some that don't have it. And it's really hard when, you know, they say, look, you can't sauce in the box. You can't cut your stuff up. Well, it's really hard if I'm going to be turning in my, you know, beautiful eight nice cherry red ribs and they're in the box. They look beautiful, but we're not going to judge on appearance. Okay. So now some guy who comes in and dumps Casey masterpiece, which these judges just off the street might like, Yeah. Oh, that guy wins. Like, yeah, but that really isn't in the spirit of who the best cook is out here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things that uh, me and Matt Pittman were actually talking about that after the last year's Houston Rodeo. Like, more ju- educated judging and, like, firm guidelines create a better playing field. Mm-hmm. You know what you need to be cooking for. Yeah, you want to level the playing field. Um, and, and, like, if you're a good cook, like, it's kind of fun to be like, hey, you need to cook a piece of brisket that looks like this and tastes good and fits in this like i call it like precision cooking that's interesting no that's and it, and i guess yeah he would he would skirt those worlds because of his rubs and stuff that's right he does both sides he and he has a lot of the home cooks and stuff. yeah that's it's, it's it's interesting because along this path i've been doing this for more years than i imagine uh but it's i've i've come in contact with a competition world but there are people that kind of report and talk about that world a lot more than i do i just right. i'm I'm more of the restaurant because I've been worked at restaurants and done stuff, but it's, right. it's, it's fascinating. That's cool that that's, I didn't know that that was completely your side. I know you had won best in beef or is it? Uh, yeah, best- it's just a beef category. So you can turn in any beef. So most people are doing brisket. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of people did beef ribs before. Some people just do like a KCBS, which is Kansas city barbecue style burn ends. And I was like, yeah, well, if people are doing brisket burn ends. Yeah. Like, what's better than brisket burn ends? Like beef rib burn ends. Yes, definitely. So, is that sold at both your restaurants? The what? Nope. Okay. It's like so labor and like that pro- process of me making this is like this, but I didn't know if maybe, maybe it was you a spe- come over to the house. You know, <laughs> okay. you, might, you might be able to sneak one or something. I don't know. Okay. No, this it just sounds so good. Okay. So that's that's why I've heard it brought up is just it's something that people have had, but it's not something that you have at your restaurants. Correct. Yeah, it's an it's an enigma, but it they're delicious. I they're like little like beef barbecue brownies i mean they're sweet they're super savory nice. they're smoky um they have a big umami punch in the middle of them like it's just they're good uh, no it just it sounds it sounds so good do you have burn ends at either of your restaurants just in general or is it we tell people we have burn ends every day you just have to be lucky to get them you know okay. <laughs> um, that was one actually one of the things like when we opened the restaurant um so many people would come in i guess just based off the history of the places in houston that would like cut the burnt ends off a of brisket and give it to people if they asked for it. And so I told people, I'm like, no, if you want the burnt ends, like order yeah. the five slices of fatty brisket it's going to take to get to the burnt ends. I'm not just going to like strip all the burnt ends off of all my briskets in the first hour and a half of opening so that you guys can just eat burnt ends. That's not how this is going to work. It was actually kind of adjustment. Like I had a lot of people that weren't down with that. Yeah. Well, what, what you did you open your restaurant? uh 16 16 so yeah. it was still so people were starting to Houston people in Houston were starting to understand barbecue a little bit more like the I guess not I hate to say central Texas style because it's it's craft barbecue craft barbecue yeah you know people were starting to understand like paying more money prime beef you know non-bucket sides but there was still a huge uneducated group of people out there that had no idea I mean well I remember one lady came in and 
asked for food and I was on the line cutting back then and she wanted a plate and I was like 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 I was like well we don't sell plates here and she's like no I want a physical plate to eat on I'm like no everything here is served on butcher paper in a tray and she said I can't eat off of that and of course you know I'd open open like two months so I was trying to accommodate everybody you know and I'm like well this is how we serve it. And she was like, kind of making a pretty big fuss about it. And so I said, you know what, just hold on one second. And I went, you know, I used to live upstairs, right? Of my first location. And I literally went up into my apartment, got a plate out of my cabinet and brought it down and gave it to her. I said, here's one of my plates. Please don't put it in the, um, like, don't put it up all the trays. Just I'll come pick it up off your table, but here's a plate for you to eat off of. I mean, she was like appalled that we weren't, we didn't have like China, you know, to eat the barbecue off. No, but that's also when I worked after I left Texas and came back to work for a barbecue place in Los Angeles, that was a criticism. A lot of times is that it was a terrible place because solely because they were serving on butcher paper because Mm -hmm. that people expected to have plates and what am I animal? I'm like, no, I mean, (laughs) knife. it's okay. You have a platter. (laughs) I've even heard it called like prison like a prison or something and i thought right. what are you talking about yeah. that's so i thought okay okay so the the first place your first location you did live up above that place is that did you now. how many years for three and a half okay what was that like smoky uh <laughs> was it really smoky oh dude extremely like when we finally moved out we actually couldn't take any of our clothes our beds our furniture our sheets uh any white close we're all tinted yellow um and uh like we had to buy all new furniture everything because like the only thing that came out of there that was furniture wise was my mouths because i wasn't just gonna leave them up there but like it could not have been good for my health you know when i'm gosh i probably will look back on that time but you know what like I had to do it. You know, when we first opened the Houston store, I didn't really hire anybody with any barbecue experience. Uh, my philosophy was that I wanted to teach them the way that I did things. Um, even if it meant me working 22 hour days for the first four months we were open, that's what I was going to do because I wanted one, I wanted to set up something sustainable where I didn't have to be on the block all the time. I didn't have to be running the pits all night. Uh, I knew we would never last a long time like being yeah. that way. And I knew that if I brought other people in, they would also bring in their methods until our culture was so set of this is how we do things. Kind of also the other thing was that if you start bringing in other people, they might influence how I cook too. Not necessarily that that would be bad, but like at the end of the day, we have a product that got us here. I want to stay true to what we do and and provide it. Um, And so for the first four months, I was, dude, it was, I slept from two to three in the morning and I slept from two to three in the afternoon pretty much. And that's why we were closed on Monday and Tuesday for so long, because uh, come Sunday afternoon when the pits were off, I would just like crash out and then sleep kind of all Monday and then Tuesday get up and fire up Wednesday. So we didn't open till six for six days a week until like halfway through this year. Yeah, yeah. No, I noticed. Or Wednesday through Sunday, you know. Oh, my gosh. But you were younger and it was able you were able to like it's but still like that's that's tough. And then the fact that could you tell that it was smoky in your apartment? Could you you could just Oh see. yeah, yeah. When the pits got opened, mm-hmm. like my now wife and I would be like, the pits are open. Or like, dude, there'd be times in the night where I'd be like, smells like grease burning and like run downstairs and <laughs> the pits are too hot, you know? Um 
Uh, it's got a like, weird stress in your life like that. It that's... was, but it was it was one of these things where um, I loved it because because like going back to when I was a little kid, like I love and I I get a lot of energy by being with customers, talking to people, yeah. being with the staff, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so for me, like that time was so special to build relationships with um, the community, right? Yeah. And just listen, talk to people, have people talk to me. Like, I just love that. You know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I think it really allowed me to establish a lot of the stuff that we do today. But it was when it was time to go, we lived there like too long to the point where there really wasn't uh, enough AC at all to keep it cool in the summer times. And so it would be constantly like 85 degrees up there through the summer. And uh, even with like window units that we would put in. And so it was a hot summer and it was like, I don't know, uh, late October and we got a cool front and there was no heat up there. So we went from like being really hot. And then I woke up the next one morning and I was like, it was like 58 degrees up there. And I turned to Sarah and was like, we're moving. (laughs) I can't do this for another winter, like We've lived in this apartment. We thought we were only going to be here six months. We've been here three and a half years. We've saved the money. Like, we're getting out of here. Well, what, what was it a restaurant that people lived up above before? Is that what it was? Um, it was it's a, an odd situation. It was uh, a restaurant underneath, and the la- old landlord used to live upstairs. Okay. But, um, it was, but it wasn't obviously barbecue, was it? But you guys, and then do you have a pit room that you built in the back? Off the back, yeah. Um, it was actually barbecue, uh, and it had, it had been like six or seven different things. Okay. But the lady, uh, it had been a El Tiempo at one point, a ta- El Tiempo Taqueria had been like a chicken roaster place. It had been a barbecue joint. It had been at the last life. It was an Italian restaurant, but, uh, the lady would like apparently only sign very short leases, uh, leases. And she was kind of nuts. And if the restaurant was successful, she just raised the rent. And so they had moved, which is like really kind of counterintuitive. You think if you had a good concept going, yeah, yeah. you're like, they're paying you, you know, they're, it's working. Um, well, that wasn't really her philosophy on things. So one thing led to another and she sold the property and um, another person bought it. And we ended up working out a deal with him and I lived there for three and a half years. So, so do you other people living there now or is no, it an office? It actually looks kind of weirdly like I just moved out still bed is still there sheets are still on it there are some clothes still I mean dude we literally packed a couple bags please send me a photo of that someday I want to see that that's it's like those yeah all those things there's a house in Los Angeles and like where there's a thing a horrific murder this is like in the 40s or the 30s and it's still apparently when you look through the windows it's still Christmas time and the presents are still under the tree, like a fake tree or, or, so, or maybe yeah. the tree is dilapidated. But it's such a, it's weird when things are like isolated in time, like frozen in time. That's. Oh yeah. Like even stuff though, it's like on our refrigerator, like reminders to do stuff. Like, I mean, it's just like one of those things like we're out, we're getting out of here <laughs> and we're not coming back. So, I mean, I thought it would be cool at one point to like revamp it and then turn it into like this badass Texas barbecue Airbnb experience. <laughs> I don't know what the liability is on that, but. Uh, maybe if you have some like proper like ventilation something special but it, that right. would be what an experience that would be that's not yeah, a bad yeah. idea maybe that's their fourth or fifth job that, exactly that's, so yeah to stay above a, a great barbecue place that's wow and you can come down and like cook with the pit masters at yeah. night we would do like the completely immersive barbecue experience oh, you know? 
That's perfect. That's please. Yeah. And if you're looking for investors, please let me know. And if <laughs> please email Grant <laughs> if you yeah. want to be on the waiting list. But that's really that's that's really interesting. So what then? What made you? Because we've got like not off top, but uh, what made you want to open a place in San Antonio? Did you have family there, or did was there? A, I have, had you lived there before? Or something? I have some family in the uh, hill country. Okay. I always thought like San Antonio is a good market. Um, you kind of see what happens in Austin. If you go to the, a lot of the Austin joints and you go stand in the line, like only 25% of the people are actually from Austin. Um, so anytime, yeah. I don't want to say like, oh, I'm going, I want tourists, but like, that's just, you know, like bonus customers, yes. right? Um, Houston doesn't really have, we have a huge city, um, enormous. Uh, with a lot of business travel, but we don't have like just a lot of straight up people visiting for fun, you know, mm -hmm. probably more now than we used to because our food scene's so good. But like San Antonio was a, was a community in a city that didn't have like a premier barbecue spot downtown, kind of had that bonus of convention and mm -hmm. um, travelers and also had like a strong barbecue identity and like people that wanted to eat barbecue and like i don't know it's a cool city right yeah. um you go to it like i'm a big sucker for history yes um, and they do a great job of preserving it there and all those kind of things and just being able to open a place like substantially closer to some of my extended family um my kind of barbecue flame was um lit out in junction texas uh and that's kind of where like that mesquite influence comes from and like eating barbecue out of my great uncle's ranch out there. It's just like a very thing that's like at the center of my passion for barbecue. I can imagine. Just a, you know, a, kind of like a catalyst moment for cooking going forward. I mean, one of the reasons I came back and made that salt and pepper brisket out of the um, Legends of Texas cookbook was that I couldn't get something that tasted like I could get out there here. Huh. Um, and that was a recipe from Cooper's Atlanta, which we would eat we would eat at so i was literally just trying to recreate trying to what i would eat out there you know so it just seemed like a good business move and we had somebody that approached me i didn't what well, really wasn't running down a whole bunch of rabbit holes over there somebody approached me and said hey you know where you have this development we're doing and i love your food and i think you'd be a great fit we want somebody to be have like a flagship barbecue place in downtown san antonio um nice. what do you think and I was like, well, I'll come over there and check it out. And I went and looked and I'm like, you know, these guys were really passionate about barbecue and they really wanted to like, they weren't in it to try to like get rich or anything like that. They made money doing other stuff. They're like, literally just want to have a place I can go eat barbecue downtown because I work oh, downtown. That's awesome. And so it was just, it was a, it was a really good thing. And um, it was very organic and just kind of came about. So was it right before the pandemic that you guys were talking? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we started talking like, I feel like maybe, a, I want to say the beginning of 2018. Oh, I mean, wow, it okay. a long time to open a restaurant like that. Uh, and then they had stuff they needed to do beforehand. And, you know, just one thing led to another. But we like, we started construction. We also went through three designs of that restaurant before it. I was very particular with what I wanted. So the design planning phase took a while. And like then, what did you want it to look like a lodge? Is that sort of the... Well, idea? we wanted it to look like it had been there forever. Okay. Uh, if you go to the outside of it, I mean, it has 130-year-old San Antonio brick on the outside. That's, 
Um, oh, most people that awesome. come in there and be like, I can't remember what this was before this. And I'm like, it was nothing. I love that. Uh, it was oh, a I year. I love that so much. Um, we hired one of the best classicist architects in the world uh, to design that place. And he's actually from San Antonio. Oh, wow. His name's Michael Ember. Um, and he designed it. And we just really wanted to make a place. If you've been at the Houston store, very has that very like uh, hill country kind of, you know, limestone interior mount old mounts on the wall, wood, like that's what I like. I mean, obviously I'm here sitting in front of a mount. Um, yeah. And so that was going to be like a larger kind of grander, um, more opulent kind of version of what we have in Houston. What's the seating capacity of that place? It's very large. It's like <laughs> two and a half times Houston. So I don't know, probably pushing like 280, something 300. I don't know, something like that. But we have the whole like acre of park in front of us that we're in. So like with indoor, outdoor, I mean, we've had events for a couple thousand people there. Wow. I One of the things that. like with Houston, like that really ignited my passion for doing barbecue here was we lived in, I guess, the biggest city, like, you know, single metropolitan area in, in Texas. Um, and we had all these people coming for business travel and leaving. I'm like, I'm not going to like throw, well, screw it. They're probably not watching this. Like they're eating Papa's barbecue, which is you know, fine for what it is, but yeah. it is essentially, um, you know, kind of fast foody mm -hmm. barbecue. And they come to Texas from New York or wherever, and they would eat that. And then they'd go home and they'd get online and be like, I've had Texas barbecue and it, it ain't crap, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that kind of, I was like, well, if we're living in the biggest city in Texas. Like we need a, a place that like, when those people come, they can come eat here and go back and tell their friends like I went to Texas and I ate barbecue there and it was awesome. And so it was a similar thing like for San Antonio made a lot of sense because there's so many people coming from out of state that like I wanted to give that like Texas craft barbecue mm -hmm. like aha moment too. Um, and so it was, that's one of the reasons why it was so exciting to open that store was to be able to um, kind of dip back in. I mean now every, like seems like everybody is familiar with it here so getting some customers that had never eaten anything like that before was really fun process. Yeah. And it's, and it'll continue that way. Is that, I do you live in Houston. I, I live in Houston. Yeah. Okay. I'm born and raised here. So, um, family's here. Uh, I'm like my, my brother nephews and my mom, dad, and everybody. So this is home base. That's home base. What now for both places, is there a line? Like do people like in San Antonio, would you expect to wait a long time for food or would it be it varies very much. You know, if we get a big rush of people from coming from a convention, there will be a line. Uh, one thing I noticed that's very different about San Antonio is that diners tend to uh, go out later. Um, and since we're a place that offers lunch and dinner, people don't really worry about us selling out. So they don't like come at 10 and wait. They know yeah. that they can get food. Um, but like in Houston, we have people every day, 30 minutes before, just like showing up ready to eat, you know, just kind of queuing yeah. up, right? For no other reason than those like ready to eat early. Uh, in San Antonio, we don't like things sometimes don't get kicking until like noon or past noon, even on the weekends, which was like to me going in there, like when I opened it, I was freaking out because you yeah, know, must Saturday, have. my sales like 30 minutes into opening it were like horrible, you know? <laughs> and then like come one o'clock in the afternoon, I got a line off the porch. I'm like, what the hell? But I've always been a person, we keep our menu very short, very specific. The whole way I've designed how you go through the line is meant to be extremely fast. Um, and we actually have myself when I live there or managers like sit there and clock like time you get to the, in the line to time you hit the register and get out. And like, I want 
to be having a transaction about every 45 seconds, ideally. Oh, wow. So if you come to a restaurant with a line of 30 people, you should be done with getting your food and paying for your food in 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, and a, a line of 30 people is actually like 30 or a 30 transaction line is a is actually a really big line. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you start next time you go to a barbecue line, figure out how many actual transactions that's there are in the line. And if you think about it, um, and that's just been like a big thing for me, which is why we don't offer potatoes. We don't offer a lot of things. We don't offer a bunch of crazy sandwiches because if you think about it, you got a line of 30 people, each person's order takes an extra 30 seconds. That's extra 15, 15 minutes, minutes person yeah. has to wait. Mm -hmm. Now you do it with a line of 45 people and 30 seconds goes by like that in, uh, in like food service time. So, you know, a minute and a half, think about just like toasting somebody's buns. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, when they order the thing doing that or like assembling a uh, taco or a baked potato, like, dude, that takes time. Yeah. And if you're gonna add an extra minute to everybody's, like that's how you end up waiting for an hour and 15 minutes when you're like, what the hell, you yeah. know? I Especially if you're, if you're risk it in two ribs, you know. So I don't yeah, know, there, there's, there's, like, there's never like a rapid speed line. You can't get like a, a fast pass just for a small yeah. order. But but also too, like if you're training somebody in that line too, that could if they're making potatoes or doing things like that, sandwiches. Oh yeah, dude, not no bueno. At three minutes, three minutes of that or four minutes per person. Yeah, right. That's okay. So that makes sense. So you're that's being efficient is is important. So then the Houston location isn't open for dinner. Uh, it is. Oh, it is. Okay. Just people in Houston like to eat early. They get to work early. You know, like if you think about like the energy markets open early and like oil and gas guys tend to get yeah. into the office pretty early. Um, and so usually around 11 o'clock, like they're absolutely ready to eat. You know, on the weekends, we might be sold out in Houston around seven something, but we like, we're at compat. I can't cook anymore. And, you know, we're so just, if someone comes at five, they're, they're good. They're good. For both locations. And it sounds like, and that's a great option because I do know of a lot of people that do take their kids to San Antonio or travel to San Antonio. And it's it's good to have an option downtown, a really good option downtown. Yeah. And, you know, the bar in San Antonio, are, you know, we have full bar service at each store. Um, our bar service is like, that whiskey selection at both stores is phenomenal. The liquor selection at the San Antonio store is like borderline world-class. I mean... I think I've, I've heard really great bottles too. Um, very under the radar. Like no matter how many times I tweeted different like riot writers and stuff about like, Hey, you know, our bar is super underrated. Um, we should be on the best of certain lists. I can never get any traction. So we're just the best little bar. Nobody's heard of. Do you have a list of what you have there? It's full of tons of allocated bottles. So, and they'll just come in and out as people okay. drink them. But you know, when the Pappy allocation comes out, we'll get at least two or three bottles. We usually have Eagle Rare 17. We have, I mean, we have the the Rare Wellers and um, Boss Hogs. We've had several of those. We had Fitzgerald birthday bourbons of different years. Oh, I mean, wow. we had a lot of really like uh, hard to find stuff. Can they order, if you go to the bar, can you order barbecue there? No, the yeah, go through the line okay. and then go to the bar and then order your drinks. And the reason we do that is that, and if it gets really busy, like on the weekends when the weather's good, we have a bar outside. So when you're, if you're waiting in line, you can grab something oh, that's while you cool. wait. That's cool. um, but the issue is like to keep accounting way easier and more separate because um, alcohol is taxed different than uh, food. I mean, it's just so much easier to keep it separated. Yeah. Plus if you're selling barbecue in the line, like I have some people, and this is 
probably revealing some of my business secrets, but like we've had people like, why can't you just put a bucket of beer, like a trough of beer out here for people to get? I'm like, well, that's because you're going to grab a Lone Star and then it's going to, I mean, you're going to pay three bucks for it. And that's going to be the only drink you have. But if you go to the bar after you get your food mm-hmm. and you see, oh, look at that bourbon or, hey, that looks like a great margarita or look at that ranch water. You yeah. might try something you haven't tried before and we'll get the upsell and you get to eat, drink something delicious. Yeah. And also too, it's, and people should be cognizant of the fact that the restaurant, the margins are thin. And you make money off of the alcohol. You make money off of merchant. There's thing. There's other ancillary things that you can do to make money, and people should be happy with that. Understand that. But also, yeah. And there's also too. It's it's funny. To, like a lot of times, I'll be like free beer for blah blah blah, and you're like, it's not always like the best beer, but you're right, like, exactly. <laughs> but also, it's beer, and people like right. beer, and it does it beer. Only like two types. There's free beer and cold beer, right? <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not even close. But it's. I wanted to. I wanted to make sure that we did bring up the fact that you went to UT for uh, rhetoric and writing, right? Mm-hmm. And what was that specific to? Did you want just to become a better writer and speaker, or was it something for the the wildlife um, being like a? Well, you know, really how that happened was I got in uh, and was an economics major. And like, I'll be the first to tell you, like, I liked to party in college and I didn't like math. And (laughs) in order to get your degree from UT and economics, you had to take like a full set of calculus. Like, Uh, it was not happening for me. Um, And actually, like calculus at UT was a class everybody failed and then you ended up figuring out if you passed or not when they ran it through the bell curve and so it was like brutal i mean like all my friends that took her like it's the most demoralizing class (laughs) you know and it was a series of them and so i had to bow out before that but i had kind of discovered these rhetoric classes within the college of liberal arts and i love to write i love to write when i was in uh, high school i liked to write when i was in um, middle school and uh, I'm dyslexic, so I'm, I really don't like to read very much, but I like to write. So a lot of people be like, oh, oh is it like English? And I'm like, nope, because I don't want to read literature and I don't want to read novels. That's hard for me. But like, I love to like write what's in my head. Um, so there's like the first factor. But I, I'd taken, you know, they had a, I think it was like 308 or something like rhetoric 308 was a mandatory class. And I took it and I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. No tests. I just have to write, you know, three papers um, and kind of like study some cool stuff. And I was, people were saying like, it was about the, um, this class was about the art of debate. And I was like, dude, you know, this is kind of interesting, right? And so I I just kind of as an elective, I took another one. Um, And that was, I think like a rhetoric of film or something like that. And um, watching old movies and seeing how like, you know, messages were, uh, and not just old, but even current ones, like what subliminal messaging are you getting yeah. films? Right. And I'm like, damn, this shit's pretty cool, you know? <laughs> and so when I bowed out at econ, I had all these uh, rhetoric credits stacked up that I was going to use as a like minor or um, just to fill some elective stuff. And I was like, well, man, I'm already almost like halfway yeah, if I wanted to be a rhetoric major and like looking at the course schedule, I'm like, man, a lot of these classes look really cool. Like rhetoric of political speeches, rhetoric of photography. Wow. Just like cool shit to learn. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, and I, I've always been a person that like, I love debate. I love getting into like, uh, you know, like deep philosophical conversations with people and like, you know, making your brain kind of hurt, like mm-hmm. stretching it. And walking and, away thinking I've 
just learn something or I need to rethink. Yeah. Right. And like uh, they say, you know, one of the things I like dyslexia people is like, you kind of look at stuff from outside the box. And so like rhetoric was an opportunity for me to um, like use that skill of being able to look at stuff from different angles. Um, and oh, it, you know, it ruined me because I can't like watch the news now. <laughs> like Twitter is painful, you know, like all this stuff are you like, uh, learning all these rhetorical fallacies and stuff that are like used all the time now to convince people of things. And you're just like, man, that's all bullshit. And you it's know? been happening forever. <laughs> yeah. And it's been happening forever. Um, so I took those courses and it was like, I say it's a godsend because when I got out and started doing this and started doing business, I do all our social media. I do all, we live in a world where you have uh, five seconds to make an uh, you know, convey a message and to make an impression on somebody uh, before Twitter changed theirs. It was 120 characters to get your message across. Mm -hmm. And the cool part about rhetoric was people would think, oh, would you have to write like 20 page papers? I'm like, no, you would write something that would require a 20 page paper in five, like no uh, words unnecessary, like everything to get your point across as clear and concisely um, and as convincingly as possible. Um, and so it really set me up to be able to do things online yeah. to engage cust future customers kind of uniquely better than other people. Like even got people who are in like the comm school for advertising and stuff. Like I had a grasp of the power of certain words and the way they're put together and all that kind of stuff that, you know, they can evoke different feelings and images and all that kind of stuff that I just, that I kind of naturally used in all of my marketing. Um, so I use that a lot and you know we have i have had people so many people say you know oh well if you're a you know rhetoric major I guess you didn't use that very much in your field and i'm like well actually you know i was a 24 year old kid that took you know five and a half six years to graduate college and i wanted to start a barbecue restaurant and i needed to raise seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and i convinced seven people to give me three quarters of a million bucks as a 24 year old living on my parents couch I said, I probably couldn't have done that without <laughs> yeah. being able to speak pretty well and persuasively. Yeah, if you weren't persuasive enough. Yes, definitely. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's, anyway, because I was an English major and a lot of people say, well, you, don't you, well, I, of course, I use it all the time. I use it all the time. And it's, yeah, it's, like, it's funny. The, the liberal arts degree, when done well and actually challenged in the academic setting, should be make you able to stretch your mind and look at things mm -hmm. like really critically. And that was like the idea. And, and like we had talked about earlier, rhetoric was one of the six pillars of the li original liberal arts degree. And like, you can see, you know, why that was the case, because when you come out, you you're supposed to be able to approach problems. You know, we're not, I'm not an engineer. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't trained for one thing and that's it. And then I go out and have my job and I'm very good at it. Uh, I'm trained to think critically, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and that's not underrated. So you see people bagging on the lib, lib arts degrees all the time, but they're, you know, they're good if you're in a challenging <laughs> environment. Well, let's hope there's some, let's hope there's someone that's younger. Uh, I don't know if anybody like be 14 or 15 or 16 listening to this, but that wants to go to UT for that, because I don't think every college has rhetoric, right? Rhetoric and writing. I think that's, if you type in rhetoric and writing on Google, it comes up with UT. Like it's, it's like the premier, one of the premier okay. programs for it in the country. If you, start reading um, a lot of the people who are professors there have actually written a lot of the modern like books that are used for teaching it. Wow. We took a class, man, that's a rhetoric of, uh, of the gospels. Oh, and wow. that was like really uh, fascinating. Get into like politics or religion here. 
but that was like very um that was very um like hard for me to like detach myself and like look at stuff like take a hard look at things that i didn't want to take a hard look at right yeah. mm -hmm. um and then make my own conclusions uh from that and um it was, it was a faith building thing for me but at the same time i was like wow that was like i feel like that was what college is intended to do is like mm -hmm. put you in, it's like really uncomfortable to kind of look at some people come out one side of it some people reaffirms whatever they believe mm -hmm. oh, whatever. Yeah. but like that should be what college is about it's like mm -hmm. really pressing you into uncomfortable spaces like break outside your own mind mm -hmm. and, and also too because a lot of people come from a lot of people have haven't left their little world and so going to college, your hope, like it's, you know, it's, there's all the fun part of college, but they're also, that's what college truly should be is something that opens your mind to so many other different beliefs and mm -hmm. yeah, and, and ways of thinking. And yeah, that's, that's I, actually, I would love to take, I'd like to audit that class. I wonder that I'm going to make a note later on for that class, because that sounds, this sounds really intriguing. It sounds like you had amazing, some amazing courses. Do you have trouble being dyslexic? Do you have trouble writing? writing that like you write because i have a friend that's really dyslexic and he would flip letters and stuff he would do, yeah, do, we'll do that um yeah. i try to type everything um and then like i tell people who are and funny enough i love to write but like like grammar uh has always not like spoken grammar or things like that but like grammar rules have always been incredibly hard for me to like uh get uh or not really get but like i don't know i just have a lot of I remember being in like eighth grade and okay. So in eighth grade, we had to do like a grammar portion of um, our English class. And I made like a 38 on the, that portion of the test. But also in eighth grade, I took a language enrichment course, which was a creative writing. And I got awarded the highest average <laughs> in that course. But like, there you go. There's like yeah. the, the weird kind of flip-flop um, for me. When I read, I have to read almost every uh, single letter, which most people don't realize that they, yeah, they read blocks. recognize, yeah, even even multiple words at a time, boom, 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 like sure. that's how the brain ingests it. I am literally, so I'm like, I used to tell my mom when I was little, I was like, my eyes hurt. And they went and got me to try to see if I needed glasses. But it was and, in your brain. Yeah, it was in my brain, not in my eyes, you know? Um, that's fascinating. But you know, so and it's also something like people probably like, you'll grow out of it. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, oh my no, my, my uh, grammar on Twitter still sucks, and uh, I just did totally disregard it. You know what's great is, and I I thought I had great grammar, like I thought I had a great grasp of grammar, but they have an app. It's not an app, but it's an extension for Chrome that's Grammarly. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, that's cool. And it's and it'll. I don't know if it's like maybe three bucks a month. It's something pretty cheap, but they'll, and then, cause they send me emails or like this, this month you did greater. And I think they're tracking whatever, but it's, it, it will, it will tell you where to put commas. It'll tell you how to, it'll say these, this word combination doesn't make sense, or this is a run on sentence. It's like reading, but I don't know if it's maybe. That's really cool. That would have saved me so much time yeah. in college. Yeah. Same with so me. Much time. Yeah, I think I might have a touch of, or maybe I think my brain, I think everyone's brain works faster than their mouth or their, like their thoughts, like I'm constantly thinking, but that's, <laughs> we've talked about a lot of different subjects. What's, this is, this is fast. This is a fascinating, there's a lot of fascinating things. Have do you, do you, I want to get into the hours just so people really quickly, what people know. So they know the hours of both restaurants, but, um, and then they're roughly like what, they're almost like two and a half, three hours apart. Is that if you were three hours, were, yeah. three hours, three hours, that's Houston to, as Houston to San Antonio is roughly three, three hours. So many times, no matter how fast you drive it, it's going to be three hours. 
Be at three hours. Okay. And it's okay. like weird. You can drive at 75 and it's three. You can drive at 90 and it's three. I don't know how it's possible, <laughs> but it, that's just the way it is. There's something in the middle that's like yeah. stretching it or something. Well, uh, what do you write it all now? Do you get a chance to you do creative writing on your own or are you going to ever come out with I don't a book? Have, or? Um, I, figured that, I figured that writing about hunting and fishing would be the thing that I could do when I'm done with barbecue. I gotcha. Okay. But I couldn't do barbecue. I couldn't have a barbecue career when I was done having a journalism career. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. now is the time to do this one, you know, maybe on my own. I, I would, you know, and honestly, like I use, uh, I use social media as a way to, uh, to write, you know, just some stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of like a word junkie too. So like, I remember writing papers and being like, that's a good word for that spot. But like I can do better than that. Mm-hmm. And like deleting it out and like finding a more like clear, like so, such a nerd, you know? Like, <laughs> no, but it's- something that is more evocative, something that's like more powerful, more mm-hmm. a better word, you know? Like, I don't think a lot of people initially think like that, but it's a cool way to think. And I, I, I kind of get that nerd out on, in myself on, on online. Yeah, so at least people will know that at least that's a creative outlet for you. And that would be, yeah, in the, the fourth, fifth, sixth career of your life, you'll be doing that. And that would be, and, and you'd be doing it for fun because I think it obviously takes a lot of time for you to convey what you want to say. So right. if you, you don't have that time right now. Right. So what, so what are the hours for both restaurants? Uh, 11 to nine. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we're open or Friday and Saturday, we're open till 10. Okay. And if you're there at the bar and you're having a good time, we probably won't close the doors. Okay. You know, like you can stay there and drink. If you, if you have a few people, you know, <laughs> If you're just like one dude drinking at the end of the bar, yeah, that's different. Yeah, that's different. We're probably going to tell you you need to go home. Or but if you're a small group of people, yeah, yeah. that, that we'll makes sense. All right, cool. That's awesome. And and then I guess with Pinkerton's, is it Pinkerton's BBQ.com or is it Pinkerton's Barbecue? I have it on somewhere. Pinkerton's BBQ.com. Okay. If you type in barbecue.com, it'll take you to the same place. Um, and we have comeanita.com, which is where all of our merch, our sauces, our seasonings, all that kind of stuff is sold there. You can also get there from Pinkerton's bbq.com. Okay. And then if people can buy all that stuff at the restaurants too? Uh, yeah, most of it. Um, it's, it's like 100% usually in stock online and like okay. in stock in store 85% of the time. Okay. And so, but is, is that one, the one what's the one with the, the mushroom? Camp. Grand Champion, yeah. Is that yeah. one available at the stores? Yes. Okay. Cool. Well, this has been so great, and I am I'm I'm glad for myself for doing this because I wanted to get know to get to know you better, and I hope that people will have gotten that from this. And uh, I can't wait to visit both locations. But it's uh, I, I I think that's an ideal idea to do an Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, dude, I think that that's hilarious. Cool. That's hilarious. That would be very unique. I don't think I don't think anybody's doing that at all. Now they will now. They will. Yeah, I know. Yeah, all of a sudden you see like six of them crop up, but they won't be in Texas. Maybe they'll they'll be in weird places. Well, it they is be like I, one of the like my buddy was like, dude, people could literally sleep in the bed that a pitmaster slept in, and like they could like wear your fucking clothes. You know, <laughs> that's yeah, true. weird. But there's probably people out there that would pay a good amount of money to do that. Yeah, you could actually give them like you could give them your schedule, what your schedule was, and right. they could do they could that. Like, schedule. Relive it. Yeah, yeah, that would be. <laughs> So then it becomes like almost like those cosplay people or those people that like reenact 
stuff. Or yeah, it's perfect for like being in San Antonio. <laughs> I guess it's Houston, so it doesn't make as much sense. But but it yeah. would be, you know, people would probably do it and then be like, people who are barbecue fans and be like, yeah, screw that. I'm never opening a barbecue restaurant. That was horrible. Yeah, actually, it's a good way to get. I think that people would just get up there and then like drink and hang out and watch TV and then like go down and sit in the pit room and just like drink more beer and watch yeah. guys work and then go upstairs and pass out. Yeah, yeah, and then and, and then tell their that, friends that they, you know, yeah, they work here today. Yeah, and they take a thousand photos and yes, uh, that's crazy. Thank you Thanks. so much. All right, take Very care. Good. See. Bye. Bye.